Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Rob Mills. I'm getting Rob on today mostly to talk about his book, which is amazing. It's all about men's mental health, which is such a wonderful read and I really recommend to anybody. Millsy was able to change his relationship with alcohol. So he went from being a very, very heavy binge drinker to having six months off alcohol and then somewhat moderating his relationship sometimes with alcohol. And so I wanted to just flag that before you listen, because for some people, they might find that too triggering to listen to. I don't normally talk about moderation on this podcast or never actually have talked about moderating on this podcast because it's not something I generally support for myself or a lot of the listeners. But I also do want to be open to the fact that people can change their relationship with alcohol and that any change is a step towards greater change. I guess if you make any changes in that relationship with alcohol, that's one step forward. And I think that that's a positive thing. So without further ado, here's Rob Mills. Hi, and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by a guy that pretty much every Aussie would know. He first appeared on our TV screens, I think, I don't even know what year it was, but he was about 21. It was quite a long time ago. He was on Australian Idol. He's a TV host, singer, actor. He's the ambassador for the RUOK Foundation. He's an all-round nice bloke, I think, so far from what I can tell from our pre-podcast chat. Rob Mills, how are you? Really good. Uh, I'm so sorry I was so late. I was watching the Republican debate. Who watches that? I don't know why I was doing it. Yeah, I'm fascinated by that? American politics. So yeah, I just like to to follow it and watch it. Even though it's probably not good for my psyche, I still like to watch it. It's a guilty pleasure of mine. It's weird, right? It's a weird nerdy thing to have. We all have guilty pleasures. Don't worry yeah. about it. Some people have like <laughs> bad reality TV show. I I think 
the American politics is like bad reality TV. So that's my guilty pleasure. It's right up there. So one of the reasons I got you on today, Rob, is firstly to talk about your book, which was amazing. I loved it. I did not know what to expect, to be honest. I was like, what's this going to be like? And you just had me at the intro. I was just like, holy shit, this is awesome. I could just sense the realness to it and the openness. And I thought, oh, wow, this is going to be good. And mm-hmm. I listened to it on Audible. It was amazing. Oh, great. The There's book- a few little changes in the Audible because I remember reading it going, like making a few comments on my own writing as I was, I was reading it out. So that was fun. That was fun right. to do. It was so good. It was great to listen to. It was a great listen. So the book's called Putting on a Show, Manhood, Mates and Mental Health. So I really want to talk today about mental health and men and the the typical archetypal Australian dude and what he looks like and if we can kind of change the way we look at the Aussie dude and if yeah. he can change himself. So one of the first things that gripped me in the book was when he said that you're kind of in a bit of a funk in COVID and you'd lost a couple of friends, which is, I'm really sorry to hear about, sound really awful. And also in COVID, losing people was a pretty difficult time because we couldn't get to our people. Couldn't get to was... our people, couldn't get to hospitals. I know for a lot of people, we were just wanting to say goodbye in hospitals or even to say hello to newborns and parents weren't allowed to be there. But yeah, losing loved ones during COVID was extremely hard, especially in Victoria. But the rules are the rules and the, the health of the, the greater community is probably the thing, but it doesn't mean that it didn't hurt. But yeah, for, for me, I lost a few friends in pretty close succession. One was a, a mate from high school, although we'd lost touch, we're still friends of friends. And then my friend Michael Falzon had passed away up in Sydney and yeah, couldn't get to the funeral. We were sort of turned away at the border. And yeah, it was one of those horrific, horrific circumstances to not be there and to not be amongst your people. And then to not mm. really know how to grieve because you're just by yourself or I think grief should be done on mass. Uh, look, I mean, I'm not a grief specialist, but like some people say it's it's best done with your community and some people say do it by yourself. But yeah, I think I miss the sort of camaraderie or the friendships of others during that time. Even though I, mm. I had a loving partner, still do. She was excellent and we cried and hugged a lot. So I'm very thankful for for that opportunity. But yeah, it was a pretty tough time. And thankfully for me, I didn't really drink a lot during COVID. My partner doesn't drink. She was working full time in breakfast television. So there's no real need to celebrate or I wasn't washing away any worries um, with alcohol. I knew that that's not really good. I'd already worked out sort of my relationship with alcohol a few years before that. But what happened when we opened up and I did catch up with friends, it was social, it was drinking and I would feel horrible the following days after the drinking sessions. And I was like, is it because of the amount of alcohol? And I was like, no, it was just pent up just energy or grief or all the feelings that I suppose I haven't really dealt with about COVID and about the world and about myself and the anxiety comes rushing in and you don't Mm. really know what to do. And then you go, Mm. oh, I should probably just stop drinking as much and that would help. Mm. Absolutely. So when you talked about a friend introduced you to a podcast called This American Life and you started to listen to other people's stories and when you started to hear other people's stories, it kind of opened something up in you where you started to look at your own life and start to see that there was things greater than beyond yourself. And I thought that was amazing. And that's why I love doing this podcast too, because it helps so many people just by the sharing of our stories and hopefully drops a whole lot of shame and and we can be open. Yeah, that's how we connect. We realize we're not alone in this thing. And also Mm -hmm. hearing other people's stories gives you greater perspective on your own life. Sometimes like, oh, what my worry is, is very small compared to the worries of other people. So you're like, it helps put things in perspective, I think. 
but that is just such a well-crafted podcast. I recommend everyone listen to it. And there are some great stories. It's, yeah, This American Life. It's by the national broadcaster, I think out of Chicago, NPR, I think it is. And it's been running for oh, 30 years probably now. My friend introduced it to me 2007, I think, or 2008, something like that. And I started listening to podcasts and I was blown away by, yeah, just the stories of everyday people and how well-crafted stories could really brighten your mood, like music does for a lot of people. A certain song might take you back to a certain place and time and pick up your mood or whatever, or help enhance your mood. A really good story, I think, does that as well. And I think we're so distracted these days with just getting a dopamine hit from a 10-second or a 30-second video on Instagram or TikTok. We're like, oh, that's that's a good thing. But sometimes just hearing it a long-form story. I mean, when I say long-form, some of them are 10 minutes. So, <laughs> But that is long-form these days. It is. Um, <laughs> but hearing a really well-crafted story or stories um, in each episode that really tickled me. And I think it reminded me how much I love story and storytelling and and that's probably why I do the thing that I do. Mm, amazing. And so then from there, like you've started to kind of go, a bit, it sounds like from what I could tell from this, from your story is that you started to go a bit more introspective and start to look at your own life and the state of your emotions and where you were at. And it seemed like it just opened up something in you. And so I think I've got this chronologically right. You yeah. sacked your manager who was basically doing everything for you. So you'd come from this place of kind of thrust into this stardom and then having everything done for you on a daily basis, all your bills paid, all that all that kind of thing. And then you let her go and then you're just kind of out there in the world going with your little baby legs going, yeah. okay, now I'm going to be a grown-up. Yeah, I mean, it's weird, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's weird. Like I was probably nearing 30 when that happened. I was like, what am I doing? I don't, I don't, like, who's paying my bills? I don't even know how to pay my bills. Like I wasn't that bad, but I was pretty bad. And also that's a very selfish bubble life to live. And to no fault of her own, I think I talked about in the book that Wendy was just trying to do her best as a manager and trying to help me the best way that she knew how. But I think it was not helping my growth as a human. And we've talked about this since she goes, I think I did definitely help you grow as a, as a human. I, go, I know, but like in certain parts, uh, definitely a hindrance somewhat as well. But yeah, getting out there in the world and then I suppose having to learn how I thought, how I felt, what I thought about things and to become a bit more... Yeah, as you said, get a bit more introspective. And that's something that you, I don't know, as blokes, we just don't do that very well. We're very good at just, all right, next, what's the next thing? Instead of mm. reflecting on our behavior or what, how we felt about a certain thing or maybe uh, a relationship that we've had and why it didn't work out or a relationship that we want to make better. Sometimes we just do. We just go straight and then there is no kind of, thought process or I'm sure there is at some level, but there's no real introspection and all of to why we, we did those things and how we actually feel about those things. And I think mm -hmm. that's where we're getting better. And that's what I talked about in the book is I think men are getting better at it because it's, it's expected now. It's not just, oh, men are just men. They're just, they're just idiots. And we'll just have to look after them. This is, I'm talking from a, a cis woman hetero perspective, but like, I think men are getting better like, oh, I need to step up my chat. I need to step up my introspection or my feeling chat or my emotional intelligence is probably the best way to put it. And I think yeah. that's what's expected these days. And for most blokes, they're stepping up. There's a lot of good blokes that I know that are doing that. The majority of men are going, all right, I see the challenge and I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. We're, we're getting there. Some blokes are falling behind and that's okay as well. Change in, in anything takes time and especially social change takes a lot of time.
We just need a bit of help. One thing you said in the book is that we need good men to raise good men. I related to the part where you said the man's got to be like the provider and he's got to be a good lover and he's got to do this and he's got to do that and he's got to be all the fucking things and he's got to be yeah. PC and the fear of being cancelled, the cancel culture and all these things. There's a lot. There's a lot There's of a lot. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot of men. Also, it's like uh, giving space for, for women to come into the space, which 100% we should be doing. There should be equality across the board. But then it's being told to also still be strong, but also still be really vulnerable when you need. It's trying to work out when we need to do all those things, but also being expected to just know when. I think that's the the difficult thing for a lot of blokes is like, I don't know. I've never seen it. I've never seen it in my dad. I didn't see it in my grandfather. I don't see it on television in the movies that I watched when I was a kid. I'm only just seeing it now. Can you just let me just give it a minute while I catch up? If you haven't seen it modeled or yet, like how are you expected to just do it straight away. There's a lot of blokes out there going, I just, just give me a minute, just give me a minute to work it out. And as I said, I think majority of men are doing that. The majority of men are raising incredible sons, incredible daughters. And I know my brother for one, two daughters. My other brother has a, has a daughter and a son and incredible parents, incredible dads. They do all the netball stuff. Both of my brothers cook a lot of the meals. Like they do the washing, they do all the stuff. Like there are good men. I'm not just saying that these are Traditional, these are traditionally women's space is what I'm trying to say, but they're not anymore. Men yeah. are doing all all the things. But as I said, we're still allowed to get it wrong, I think. Sometimes the men are being shamed for not getting it straight away or not getting it already. I suppose there are a lot of loud men that are like, hey, women, women suck, like that are still in that space. I talk about it in the book, the mm. big tower, the men going their own way movement, which is just horrific, like idiots. I just don't think, I just think they're a minority. I think they're much more of a minority than what is probably broadcast. Yeah, I think so too. So in the book, you talk about perhaps not being modelled about really how you're feeling. And you said that you and your mum were super close and she gave you all the cuddles and she gave you all the love, but perhaps sometimes didn't actually ask you how you felt about things. Mm. And like, I really struck me in the book too, where you said that your parents when they were breaking up and your mum came to tell you, you just started brushing your teeth frantically and yeah. just ignored it and yeah. just sort of pushed it away. And then fast forward years later when you're thrust into the limelight and you had that big panic attack when you're at that super, what was it, it was shopping centre? When Yeah, you're... yeah, I was at the, I think we're in Western Sydney. I think it was like a Parramatta. It was like high point. It was with the idol guys and it was horrific. <laughs> It sounded months. horrific, but then when you were in uh, up on the Gold Coast, then you got to that where it kind of seemed to hit its peak where mm. you got to that point where I don't want to give too much away for people who want to read the book, but you got to that point where you were on the edge of your kind of your mental health capacity. And then you called your brother and he's like, hey, mate, how are you? And you're like, yeah, good. I was yeah, like, good. what? No. Like we. So anyway, what I'm getting at is. Not, we don't talk about our stuff. Not talking <laughs> about our feelings. What's great though is from reading your book, Last night, Ash and I were chatting and he's had a few issues with his manager that kind of upset him. And he was just like in his head about it. And I'm like, but how does it make you feel? Like, how do you feel? Because like his dad's beautiful as well, but it wasn't probably modeled that like to really talk about the actual feeling of it. Yeah. And I think this is where men could really get a lot out of this book of yours is that it's okay to kind of tap in and ask that part of you, like, what's going on? Like, how am I actually feeling? Am I, yeah, am I angry or am I upset? Am I vengeful? Yeah. Am I like, yeah. am I hurt? Is my ego bruised? Yeah. W what is the thing that I'm actually feeling? Take a moment just to sit with it. I think on one side, it's for blokes, we want to action it. We want to fix it. We want to move forward. The other thing is when we feel things, we don't want to burden other people with it. 
<laughs> for some weird yeah. with DNA thing, I don't know if it's DNA. The psych uh, who I spoke to, Zach Seidler, said it's definitely not. It's definitely not psych. It's not definitely. It's definitely not DNA related. So I still think it is. But look, he's a specialist. I'm not. <laughs> so I will definitely listen to him. That I think we just don't want to burden others. We don't want to burden other people, and we want to action it, and we want to move forward without having to deal with the the feeling. We put it in the box. I think I talk about in the book, like we put things in a box and we just put it in the storage room and we'll get to it later. It's mm-hmm. not good because the boxes end up overflowing and then you've got a whole lot of just, you got a big junk room. And I think uh, most blokes can probably relate to that as well. <laughs> <Just>. <laughs> Absolutely. You've never dealt with all of the stuff. For me and from my perspective and where I come from, I really do feel like if men had that space to be open and talk about what they're really feeling, perhaps they might not have to get so shit-faced on a Saturday night or after work because they're feeling stressed after all the things that are going on and being all the things. If they had the capacity to just speak about how they were feeling rather than glug, glug, and glug, glug, I think that could really change. I 100% agree with you. Like The Mm. the thing I learned from the book, but even earlier, just with my relationship with alcohol, also my relationship with my brother, we were going on walks bushwalks we were training for the oxfam 100 kilometer walk now i don't i'm not saying everyone needs to do the oxfam 100 kilometer walk i think it's a very excellent thing to do you raise money for for oxfam but also you you challenge yourself in ways that you can then look back in in the in your future and go oh that's right things are hard it couldn't have been as hard as the thing when i walked 28 hours through the rain and through mountains non-stop but what i noticed even in the trainings with my brother we were out bushwalking for three, four, five, sometimes six hours on a Saturday morning. We just talk. And once you get through the first like hour of like small talk, talking about the footy, the kids, you do end up just getting a bit deeper and deeper every single time. And I think that's really important. It's that trust building. Not that my brother and I needed to build more trust, but for blokes, we do need to build trust. But it's having those deeper conversations and something about walking, being out in nature, your eyes are darting left to right. It has this sort of flow of subconscious that you, your mind just sort of can just let go of it. And because it is just you two out there, or maybe you're in a group with with mates, which I've done before and still do to this day, and I love it. We have these excellent chats, feelings, thoughts about relationships that we're in or other people or how we think and feel about them. And then also it's at the end of it, it's, it's done. We get to the top of the mountain. We're like, cool, good job. Everybody. Like, I talk about the the need to do something while we're having these conversations. Blokes don't want to sit down and, from my research, blokes don't want to sit down across from their partner and talk about stuff. Yuck. Get in the car, take your partner <laughs> for a drive. Go for a drive. Like, so you're not looking at each other. You don't feel the judgment of your partner or your friend. Go for the walk, get a coffee, go for a walk, whatever it is. Every time I've spoken to someone about this, they're like, oh my God, I went for a walk with my son the other night. And it was amazing. I talk about the book from the the men's circle. This guy went for a walk with his son because uh, he was having this tantrum with his mum, and they went for a walk. He's like, "What's going on, man?" And he's like, "Oh, dad, this thing's happening at school." And I was like, "Oh, great!" Like they connected just from getting out of the house, getting out of that zone, and just walking. There was no real pressure from eyeball to eyeball. You know that sort of judgment that we feel from others, and it's still you're still connected with the person. You're right next to them. You're shoulder to shoulder or whatever it is. But there's something. I don't know, something safer maybe. doesn't mean that you can't turn and look to the person and connect really. But Mm. yeah, there's something about going for that walk that really connected me with my brother and with my mates and also allowed me to share things and for them to share things. 
Yeah, absolutely. What would you say a typical Aussie bloke who's coming home from a week of work and it's Friday and he's fucking stressed out to the eyeballs and he's got the wife waiting at home and he knows he's going to get more pressure perhaps when he gets home and he's thinking, all I want to do is fucking neck a beer and just not have to think about it. Go for a run when you get home. Right. Just whatever you think the release that you'll get from the alcohol, you'll get a mind-numbing sensation. It's amazing. Uh, we all know it. It's a lovely feeling of like nothingness. They're like, oh, I don't think of anything. It's, yeah, it's just brain turning off and killing brain cells. Go for a run. You'll feel so much better, not only in the moment, but afterwards. The clarity mm. that you get from exercise and endorphins and serotonin levels and all of that stuff, plus your health benefits from going for a 20-minute, 30-minute jog is far beneficial mm. than having a drink. Also have a zero beer if you need that bitter taste or whatever. That's a beer that you need. Have a zero beer and after the run. My brother does something now, which we talked about before walking in the house. Not all the time. Everyone's forgetful. But just take your moment, shut the car off. Just taking a moment, even if it's a minute of just how do I want to enter the house? Like, mm. how do I want to present to my family? How do I want to present to my wife, to the kids? If it's been a tough day, do I want to bring that into the house or do I want to leave that in the car? before I enter the house, like mm. being really conscious of that. I think that's really important. I think, I mean, look, I can't tell you how to be a parent. I'm not a parent. I'm just relaying what my brother does, but I don't have kids at the moment and I get to just walk into the house with my partner. But sometimes we stand outside the door after having a walk and a chat and she says, we're leaving this here. Okay. We are leaving this here before we open the door. We're leaving this here. And then we're walking in and we're not talking about it anymore. Like awesome. it's nice to have those, those moments, but yeah, I would suggest not having the beer as the first thing or asking yourself why the beer is the reward for the thing. Why is alcohol the reward for your week at work? Can it be something else? Can it be like spending time with your kids or can it be taking your wife out for a walk or a date or cooking dinner for them? I don't know. I drink not all the time, but sporadically. And I occasionally will treat myself to alcohol. And then I go, ah, oh, that was not good. I feel pretty horrible the next couple of days. Yeah, and then it's but not such a treat after all. Exactly. It's not such a treat. So I know what to do. But sometimes I choose, I choose not to do it. And then I go, oh, yeah, that's right. I suppose that's the process of getting from a drinker to a, to a non-drinker or just someone who can moderate their drinking. It's an so, interesting yeah. thing. It's not something I've really talked about before on the podcast is moderation. It's not something that I was ever able to do, nor was my husband, Ash. He was never able to moderate. and We just would get the can't stops. I had a, a great walk with my mate yesterday. We walked for two and a half hours. A lot, I know a lot of people don't have the luxury of a two and a half hour walk with their mate. We're both in entertainment and both uh, in between jobs at the moment. So we have that opportunity. He said to me, he goes, I think I'm done. We've been talking about it for years. We, we've gone for walks with zero beeros. That's what we call the zero <laughs> alcohol, zero beeros. We've gone for walks with zero beeros in the park. So we've talked at length about our relationships with alcohol over the journey. And he just said, yeah, he goes, I had a few big nights while you were away and I have felt really sad. And I was like, mate, I'm really sorry I wasn't here. And he's like, no, that's, that's, that's okay. I spoke to my psych and I have, I've had really good chats with her and some friends and he goes, but I think it makes me so sad that I am feeling super dark thoughts about myself, about my life. And we had a big hug and I was super sad for him, but so happy that he's come to this realization and that super supportive of, I was like, man, it doesn't make a difference in our relationship or friendship at all. And I think there are a lot more 
blokes uh, and women coming to that realization that, that whatever judgment they think they're going to feel from their friends, no, nothing, not at all. Like it's yeah. all your friends want for you is your happiness and your health and your well-being to be peak. I mean, mm-hmm. if someone says, oh, who am I going to get drunk with? They're not your friend. They're, <laughs> they're still chasing something that they're never going to find. So, 100%. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you were drinking and partying quite a lot. So you have changed your relationship with alcohol mm-hmm. and it is possible at times where you've woken up and thought, fuck, that's not such a treat after all. Do you ever play with the idea of maybe joining your friend and giving it a really good hard crack, perhaps a year off? <laughs> I just did the last two months before I finished the show. I got the flu really bad, horrifically during and Juliet here in Melbourne. And had to take like a week and a half off work. And I was like, oh, this is not good. I need to just get my health right. And so gave up alcohol for the remainder of the run and then did the thing of like, well, I'll just celebrate a little bit at the end. And then I'm going on holiday with my partner. But then my brain's like, even while we're away, I'm like, maybe I don't really need it. You know, there were people, we were in Las Vegas, sitting by the pool and there were people just smashing cocktails and booze. And I like... Go for your life. Like that's, if that's your thing, I was there for about four or five hours by the pool in the shade, drinking water and reading my book. I was reading the Dave Grohl book. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to not remember this awesome book. The one thing though, and the reason I wanted to talk about it a little bit today was just that not that I encourage moderation because a lot of people who listen to this podcast, are they're sort of beyond that. They've tried that. they've, They've ended back up in the shit again. But it's a good conversation to have that even if you're changing your relationship with alcohol, it's still a step forward in the right direction to helping support your mental health and to just making more healthier changes that will support I used, you. I used an app called Daybreak, which was started mm. by Hello Sunday Morning. My friend Chris Rain got me onto that, which I think Hello Sunday Morning is an incredible social change movement. Instead mm. of like shaming people into, why did you drink last night? Let's champion the people that are out on Sunday morning doing activities with their family, with their kids or by themselves. Uh, I think it's such a great way to change the mindset. And I, I think it definitely has changed the mindset of a lot of Australians since its inception. They have an app now called Daybreak. It's been around for a few years now. We has psychologists that are readily available on the app. There's like chat groups, like a thread, kind of like a Twitter or Facebook, but it's all positive stuff. Like all people that are, Hey, I'm new here. I'm zero days sober. It's so great. Like, the community in that app is so wonderful that you just get swept up in it. And I've been on that app on and off for years. And I think it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that's helping people move away from alcohol and also to be supported in their journey to know that they're not alone in this thing. And as I said before, if, if someone is telling you that you should keep drinking, they're probably not a very good friend. Yeah, absolutely. And this whole conversation and this book, and it's all really about just changing our attitudes towards things and stepping towards becoming a better version of ourselves. And so I think it's a great conversation. And I've actually written a a blog post once for Hello Sunday Morning. And yeah, they're a great, amazing organization. So I'd say for people listening, or if you're new to this, to definitely check them out, because I think that's a great support system. And you said in the book that you lent on them and you lent on that community quite a bit when you were kind of first changing your relationship. What's the longest stint you've gone without the booze and how did that feel? I think it's six months is the longest I have done. And Amazing. felt really good. But also I now don't drink anywhere near as much as I used to. I was in the camp of I can't stop once I started. And that was due to, I used to work every weekend as a kid. So from 18 to 21, 
every weekend I would work in the band. So I couldn't drink because I was driving the car, I had all the gear. So, and then Sunday nights I would get pretty drunk though after we finished. And then I remember feeling horrific the following week until you feel good again. And then you just do the whole weekend again. And then I got into to theatre and I realised you can't really drink. You're doing eight shows a week and you need to be super fit, super focused, super present in every moment. And I was like, well, yeah, this I feel really good doing this. So I think it was during sort of the, probably the first production that I did, Wicked, I was probably like, okay, what is my relationship with alcohol? I sort of started to sort of think about it then, but probably more deeply a few years later. I'm just so glad that more blokes and more women are having that sort of look in the mirror about what is it doing to my relationship? Also, how much is it costing? If you look at how much you've spent, oh my God, mm-hmm. you could have put the extension on the house. It doesn't seem like a lot, like the hundred bucks or 200 bucks a weekend or sometimes 400 bucks to some people, or even like the slab of beer that you're drinking a week at home is what, 50 bucks now, 60 bucks, like 60 yeah. bucks, over, 60 bucks a week. Mm. Oh, totally. Ash and I figured out we could have bought or it was at least a deposit for an investment property like because we were just spending so much money and he would even get given a lot after gigs, obviously, with his rider. Like So there was always the rider as well. But we were still on top of the rider, like buying ridiculously expensive bottles of wine or bags of Coke and just so much fucking money. Like it's just crazy, Rob. Who's got the the money? (laughs) Who's got the money? That's right. So it's really great to just at least ask the question, what is my relationship with alcohol? Could I change it? That's a great first step for a lot of people and yeah. for a lot of men too who are relying on it to kind of soften the edges. I feel like so many men can't lean into those more emotional conversations sometimes without the beer and it can be a catalyst sometimes for them to be able to open up. But wouldn't it be nice if they felt that they could open up and start being a bit more open as you said like I love how you said in the book there's a difference between vulnerability and openness but I'll get to that in a second but yeah yeah, I feel like so many men really need the beer to be able to relax and express themselves in some circles we just went around Australia and we were spending a lot of time in the outback and far out we met some Aussie blokes that's I mean they still exist that that old school Aussie stubby shorts Jackie Howe wearing sheep sharing bloke he still exists oh mate it's half my family yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they are that, but yeah, and I remember like with Ash too. Some guys would be like, "What do you fucking mean you don't fucking drink?" They'd when they'd meet us or they'd meet Ash. See, one thing with him, he's never been the kind of go to the pub and meet my mates kind of bloke, which is great because mm-hmm. he's always been quite soft around the edges. He's a softer kind of a guy. Mm-hmm. But look, so many guys in my family, it's all about their mates and going to the pub and having a beer, and which is great. It's beautiful that Aussie mateship. But guys, can we change it up a bit? And I know so many men are. I think, as I said before, with a for blokes, it's that they don't want to burden their mates with stuff. We connect yeah. so much through our banter as blokes. That's how we connect, whether it's a negging or whether it's the just telling jokes, sharing memes now seems to be the thing on like WhatsApp or Instagram as a way to connect with our mates. But there's this sort of fear of the burdening other people of your stuff. Everyone's got stuff. Everyone's got troubles with their partners or work or just by themselves. They don't want to hear my stuff. That's the kind of adage Mm. of the bloke. So I think a way around this is if you're someone who needs it, share something. Start Mm. the conversation yourself. If you share something, prepare for probably ridicule, but I, I guarantee the ridicule will soon dissipate with nothing but love and compassion. Because as I said, all the blokes that I know, as soon as they hear someone's in trouble, 
mate, what's going on? Like the stories that I hear of, of suicide, when I spoke to Gus Warland, who lost his friend, he still can't believe that he's gone. Like it's the conversations that you have afterwards, like, oh, I could have done more. Do it now. Don't wait till, oh, we didn't know. Why didn't you know? I don't mean to throw that out as to like mm. cause more grief for people because it is horrific to lose someone. But I just mean to the people out there now, like what can you do to ask your mate how they're going? That's I think Are You Okay Day is a great reminder, but it shouldn't be just be one day a year. It's the checking on your mates. It's something so small. As I said, bring them away from the group. It doesn't, maybe it's not a big group chat. All right, tell us all about your feelings. Like that's that's kind of a bit weird. If you do see something in a mate, maybe he's, attitude has changed a bit or maybe he's being a bit more reclusive or maybe he's being a bit more forthright mm. if you do see something just grab him aside and be the one that asks the question you never know where it might lead yeah yeah or share something of your own that then creates well here i am i'm sharing something and the next thing you know someone else well actually you know, i've been feeling the same way and this is and then they share their things but be brave in that space to share something be vulnerable it's a really good place to be I absolutely agree. And look, so many guys that I work with and some of them have been on the edge of like wanting to commit suicide or really blackout drunk and playing around with that idea. And the alcohol has affected their mental health so much, but they just don't know how to ask for help or to say so that, like I said earlier, they're just drinking it and squashing it down. And so I think that's a great first step is to just be brave and without the booze in hand, like, could we just try and reach out to someone and just say, Hey, this is how I'm feeling how about you? Or does it affect you? And just, I know that that's could be really hard for some guys, but to just kind of lean it's into it. It's super hard for everyone to just say that you've got a problem to say that you, no one wants to admit that there's something wrong, like with them, like everyone wants to be the best version of themselves. Look at Instagram. No one puts up their, their worst stuff. You only put up your best stuff. I don't know. Have it's, you seen my Instagram? I'm up there with no makeup and saggy bits and right. I don't give a fuck. Authentic. Love that. We need more <laughs> of it. We need more of that. It, yeah, it's it's tough to be the one to put your hand up, but as I said, it's so much more rewarding. You're going to have far more better connections with people. There is a further side to that to the people who just constantly are like, "Oh, this is wrong with me. This is wrong with me." I think they they've got something mentally wrong with them that need the validation for for things. But if you've got your mental health in check, you, you know what I'm saying about those types of people. The emotional um, dumper. Yes, yes, yes. But there is also the, the person who doesn't speak up at all and until it's too too late. And that is hard, as I said, as a friend, just to be aware. And that's being that sort of emotionally intelligent kind of person, just being a bit more self-aware. And that comes from reflection and introspection to knowing how you feel about things or, oh, I noticed something about a mate today in the, in the group. He was a bit different. So mm. maybe you talk to your partner about it or maybe you grab one of your other mates aside and you say, did you notice something the other day? Or maybe we take him for a walk. It's about being supportive. If he's got a partner, maybe it's calling her and say, hey, I noticed something. Do you reckon there's something going on? Like, I honestly don't think there's anything wrong with having those hard conversations. But if you do see something, help a mate. Do you find that that's helped if you've noticed something in someone and you've reached out? Have they been open in return? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes you might get a bit of pushback. And I find it hard sometimes to ask. Like, like it's it's hard. Mm. It's like, yeah, everything's fine. But really, is everything okay? Because I also really just like the banter. Like I'm also guilty of this. I just like to live in the space of carefreeness and like everything's going to work out kind of vibe. But there are times that you go like, oh, yeah, I did notice something. I remember talking to Georgie about it. Like you come home from chat with mates and maybe at the pub or whatever. She's like, oh, how's his wife going? How are the kids? No idea. 
I did, we didn't talk about that. Like, <laughs> we just talked about everything else. What'd you, have to, what'd you talk about? I don't know. Nothing. Just like footy and random stuff. Maybe those group situations at the pub are not the best place. Taking mm. someone away for a walk or making the time to have that phone call. Mm. In the car, I do a lot of chats with mates as well. That's a really good time to, to chat. I think blokes are really open to like on the road, having a chat. There's something about needing to pass the time whilst connecting with a mate. It's a really good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's Georgia so important. It. Yeah. <laughs> like, why do you do that? I, go, I don't know. Because we're different. We're very different. It's so important to have that connection. And I think it's something we have when we're younger. And you even said it in the book, it gets harder as you get older to have mates. Look, I know Ash has got like band members and touring crew and all those people that are his friends. Like he's got good friends, but they don't, I don't know, they're all so busy. Like everyone's busy doing their things and yeah, yep. they're off whatever. And sometimes I feel like oh, it's sad that there's not, I think women are a bit better at it, at maintaining so relationships. But I know with Ash, it'll be like if he's like at a gig, maybe he'll catch up or if he's out surfing or something like that, he'll catch up, but never like just sit down, have a cup of tea and talk about his feelings with them. No, no. Yeah, because it sounds gross. <laughs> Got to be doing something. I think those, the men's sheds are very popular these days for a lot of blokes because they're going there making something whilst mm. connecting with a group of people. That's what happens when blokes finish at the footy club or whatever club they're a part of, a chess club or whatever. It doesn't have to be a sporting thing, but there's... Those communities, they do so much for people, more so than just wins and losses, more than just grand finals or it's the camaraderie. There's so many people around that you feel connected to something, something greater than yourself as well. Mm, It's it's a modern day church, I suppose, for a lot of secularist society. Yeah, yeah. That's why like, I've got mates who go to church every week and you're like, it's bloody good. You're very good. You're very good with your community. They're very good. Wow. In the secular society, it's a lot harder to find that thing. But if you don't believe in, in God, I'm like, I'm not going to church. I, I can't I can't really connect with you. Like, I still love you, but I'm like, I can't do the thing that you're doing. So mm-hmm. I think it's for a lot of the atheists, or a lot of people who don't believe in religion, it's like, oh, what is the thing that connects me? Maybe it's cars. Maybe it's rivers. Maybe it's, as I said, maybe it's bushwalks. Maybe it's bird watching. Maybe it's old movies. Maybe, you know, like whatever it is, find the thing, find your tribe to connect with your people, even after footy. And like, obviously from this show perspective, especially with young guys too, like, could you find a tribe or find some commonality where it doesn't involve getting shit-faced on the weekend, like taking the zero bureaus, as you say, and still connecting, having a great time, having a great chat, having a yarn. Absolutely. I don't see why. But not getting shit-faced. I don't see why not. Like, and that just comes from growing your own self. I mean, look, when we drink, you get more self-confidence but i think that's a fallacy i think you just lose any kind of sense of yourself so Mm. you're not getting more confident you're just losing any sort of rhyme or reason you lose the judgment of others because you're not really thinking properly because you're killing brain cells so spend more time reading books spend more time getting to know yourself you're growing your self-worth so when you walk into that room or the pub or catch-ups with mates doesn't matter like you don't need to lose anything you've already got everything that you need I think that's probably the most important thing to be teaching our young boys, especially who can quite often get swept up in the blokiness of like going to the pub and drinking heaps and making bad decisions. But I think it's growing their own self-worth through other means. Oh, absolutely. And look, it often starts off as the guys drinking with their friends when they're younger and it gives them the confidence or they do something stupid and they get a whole lot of attention for it. So they keep on going. But then fast forward a couple of decades of that, 
And it's really starting to impact the mental health. You're acting out of alignment with your values. I mean, I've worked with some people who have done some shocking things when they've been intoxicated that they just can't even get past. And it's awful. It's really impactful. And then the booze on top of that, like what it does to the mental health. And you talk about that in the book, what alcohol does to mental health. It takes its toll eventually. And so if it's taking a toll on you, it's so important to look at it and go, can I remove this thing to kind of support myself and get to know myself and figure out what's going on for me on the inside. It's it's daunting though, right? Getting Mm. to know yourself. The whole thing through adolescence, I think I talk about in the book, the rite of passage that certain tribes have across the world and indigenous Mm. cultures across the world over time. We don't have that sort of rite of passage now or this ritual is drinking a yard glass. When you turn 18, I was getting faced at an 18th birthday or your mate's completely telling these horrific stories in front of your grandparents of all the things that you've done at your 21st. Doesn't sound great. I think that it is a need to look at a better kind of growing up, a better sense of self-reflection through your teenage years into your 20s. I think we sort of just go through a boozy haze. I don't know, maybe the gap year is probably the best thing before you push on into university or into tertiary or whatever sort of work that you do after you turn 18. There's a lot of pressure on a kid into the 18 and then you have to make all the decisions for the rest of your life into that thing. Maybe that gap year is probably worth looking at that sort of self-discovery. I suppose we get into our 30s, we're like, oh, what's what's all this about then? What's yeah. all these what's all these feelings that I'm feeling now? That's weird. Yeah, where do they all come from? Well, they all come from. They've always been there. We just we just don't encourage it. And I think that just needs to be encouraged a bit more yeah, at an absolutely. earlier age. Yeah. So like I said earlier, a reading about you kind of having that avoidant behavior with the emotional stuff. Do you still feel like you're that little boy brushing his teeth madly when emotional stuff comes up? Or are you able to sit with it more now through the work that you've done? And Yeah, I could definitely yeah. sit with it. Like it still happens. There's no way that I'm now like the model of absolute purity in like thought and sound. I think that goes to like someone who's done a lot more brain work, like Sam Harris, probably. <laughs> it's like the doyen mm-hmm. of like the brain. I still like blow up at my partner at times over silly things. And I'm like, inflicting on like, I'm like, that's, that's stupid, babe. I'm so sorry. That was ridiculous. I was out of line then. I'm really sorry. I'm much better at recognizing it earlier instead of waiting or putting it in a box for months down the track or years down the track. Now it's could be a matter of moments. It could be a matter of minutes or sleep. And then you wake up, you're like, ah, that was very silly. I think it's just making sure you give your time to reflect and not distract yourself. Mm. We're so good. at It's so easy to distract yourself and don't be too hard on yourself. Our phones, they're designed to keep our attention more so than anything that's ever been built in the world. So it's designed to keep you engaged with the, the apps, the Instagram, the TikToks, the messages, the whatever it is. They're designed to keep you on, but put your phone down, keep it out of your bedroom, take time to read a book, take time to just, some people it's meditation. Sometimes it's just to go for a walk without a podcast, without anything. Even if it's on your walk and you've got a 40 minute podcast, maybe for the last 10 minutes of your walk, just reflect on it, turn off the podcast. And now I'll just listen to my own thoughts and reflect on what I just heard. Instead of, oh, what's the next podcast or what's the next music that I want to listen to? Just take that next five minutes, 10 minutes on the walk to just take the headphones out and just think. I think we we don't do that enough. Mm. We're constantly trying to distract ourselves and I'm guilty of it as well. So yeah, as I absolutely. said, I'm- Yeah. 
And look, alcohol is probably the ultimate distractor. That the best. And the phones it's the best and... at it. So good at it. Yeah. Alcohol yeah. and the phones are the, they're the, the absolute best. I guess now it's kind of pushing into, okay, can we take out those distractors and just see what we're left with and how that feels to sit with this version of me without all the distractions and that's the big thing and diving into those feelings like you were saying. So just my final question for you, Rob, is if you could go back in time and speak to that young version of yourself who's madly brushing his teeth and didn't want to hear it when my mum was asking him how he was sort of feeling about the breakup, what would you say to him? Look, I I think I'd say ask more questions. Ask more questions of your parents. Ask more questions of the people around you and ask for help. Yeah, I think that's it. We're too scared to speak up to ask for help. I think that's probably what happened for me. I was like, oh, I'll just put that in the box. I'll just deal with it later. But yeah, I'd probably just say, hey, mate, it's going to be okay. It's definitely for the best, this breakup. But ask more questions about why you feel the way you feel or why other things are happening. I think that's really important. We just probably don't ask enough questions as kids. Yeah. What do you think he needed other than to ask more questions? Like, I feel so sad. Like, I can picture it. This boy, like, just brushing the teeth there and just so desperately not wanting to hear what's he's just been told. And what do you think he would have probably needed at the time to kind of help him let it land? It's not to say that there wasn't enough hugs. There was definitely a lot of hugs. And I think the relationship ended for the better. They were not well suited, but I suppose without them being together, I would not be here. So I'm glad they did get together. Maybe just a bit more assurance or I don't know. I think every kid still just wants to be looked after, still wants Mm -hmm. to be heard, still wants to be cared for. But that's really hard when your parent is also still trying to work out who they are. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Still trying to work out who they are and what they want in life. And then they don't have time to also help you work out. I think that's the role of the parent. As I said, I'm not a parent, so I don't know yet. But I'm Mm. pretty sure that's part of it is to work out your stuff. Well, majority of it. There's still going to be lots of stuff that you're working out. But before you have your children. I think that's part of it. Yeah. So Rob, your book's been out for a little while now. And I would say to any guy, anyone who knows a guy, anyone who's got young men, I would say, get this book. It was really, really awesome. It was really eye-opening and it was really beautiful. And every chapter, I loved it. I just thought it was beautiful and vulnerable and open and sparked some really great conversations. I know it did in our household. And so, yeah, thank you for this awesome offering. And I'll put links in the show notes on where people can get this book and let Rob know what you think of it. Thank you so much. That would be great. I loved it. The point of the book from the very beginning was not to be a biography at all, but to find out some questions, like ask some questions of people who are actually experts in the field or people that I'd Mm. looked up to or admired or that I'd come across on my journey and ask them what they thought as well. And like Lee Sales' book, Any Ordinary Day, where she interviews some people who've gone through incredibly traumatic experiences, she reflects on those interviews. And I was like, oh, that's what I want my book to be like. I want to reflect on the interviews. So then I'm learning along with the reader or the reader's learning Mm -hmm. along with me. So we're all learning together. That's the kind of vibe that I wanted to create. And I think from the reaction from people that we're all learning, which is good. (laughs) Absolutely. We are. We're all learning. That's right. And every conversation we have, just like to take it back to the beginning where you said that it's the sharing of stories that helped you kind of open up. And it's the same here, you know, so we're all learning together by listening to each other and sharing stories. And yeah, so Millsy, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate your time. I really want to chew your ear off for hours more, but I know you've probably got to go. So thank you so much. For Thanks, mate. Here on. if you need. And good luck on your journey. 
for everyone listening, you can do it. You can do awesome. it. As can I. Awesome. Thanks, mate. See ya. Thanks, mate. Bye. Bye. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.